Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend, Allison Dayton. Welcome to the podcast, Allison. Well, thank you. I'm so glad to be here again. Um, most of you are probably familiar with Allison, but if some of you are new, she, um, to the LGBTQ space and some of the people in the space, Allison is someone who has been and continues to be a mentor to me. Um, but she is the founder of Lift and Love, and you can check out liftandlove.org, and Allison will probably talk about that. Allison's been on this road. She's in her 50s. Mm-hmm. Just turned um, 53. And she's been on this road for four decades. I've been on this road since I was a singles word bishop for, you know, like six years. So mm-hmm. one of the things that I think will be helpful for you and you being leaders and parents in LGBTQ Latter-day Saints is sort of this long view that Allison has. And, uh, and um, part of her long view is um, her brother Preston, who has now since died, he died in 2017, came out. Allison grew up with a gay brother, became aware that he was gay as a teenager, loved this brother. And, and then he passed away in 2017. Allison is also the mother with her husband, Ken, of a son, Jake, great young man who came out in 2018. So one of the things that Allison has this perspective of being a sibling and watching her parents um, raise a gay son and now raising a gay son herself. And um, our joint prayers, this podcast should just be helpful for you if you're leaders or if your parents are LGBTQ and our joint prayers, the things that Allison understands with the hundreds of people she's visited with or thoughts and prayers about this space, the interaction she's had with leaders will be helpful for you. Allison was on episode 170 with um, our friend and artist, Kirk Richards, talking about his painting, Jesus Said Love Everyone, um, the painting that she gave to her son, Jake, for Christmas way back then on episode 170. And um, as you may know, Allison and I are related because your daughter... Um, <laughs> And your son got married. Right. And we figured that out right after we met each other, right? That they were kind of. They were dating. They were serious yeah, and, just about dating. That's when they had just started. So your daughter, Dev, and my son, Jake, are married and just a great couple. And I count your son as my closest gay relative. <laughs> and he would love that. <laughs> so he's a terrific man doing good things in his life. So that's my long introduction. And. I'll just turn it over to you. It's your time to share um, things that are in your mind and heart for our listeners. Well, I so appreciate you. And and um, Richard's always been such a great sounding board, especially in the beginning when I was so frustrated when I was starting this and he'd already kind of begun his work. And um, it's been so great to be able to use you as a sounding board. And we we talk a lot about, we try not to talk too much, but we talk a lot about this space and what we can do to help. And um, and he's right, you know, I, uh, I've had this long view and it started with my brother who I adored. And he, he was 10 years, almost 10 years older than me and just loved me and in all the quirky ways that I was uh, a young kid uh, growing up with him as an oldest brother. Um, and I realized he was gay when I was about 14 or 15 came to me really clearly. I, I didn't realize it then, but the spirit literally said to me, Preston is gay. And I thought I'd kind of figured it out on my own until 
uh, my own son came out and the same words were said to my daughter, Devin, one day when she was sort of wondering about Jake. She had the very same words, Jake is gay. Um, and then I realized like, yeah, that was the spirit. It wasn't just me being some smart 14 year old. Because in 1984, who would suspect their brother would be gay? Nobody was out, especially in Salt Lake City. Um, he'd already li- left for uh, D.C. and had done everything he could to try and change himself. But it just wasn't working, And of course. And um, so he decided to move out and he began dating uh, men and had some long-term relationships. And they were always part of our family. Um, our, my parents had a remarkable way of kind of just loving back in the day before we knew that we just needed to love, right? Um, they just, they just loved him. They wanted the best for him. Um, and they didn't really worry about the rest. They, they just really trusted that we were, a, a an eternal family and that the Lord would work it out. My parents were very, um, they just had all that faith. So growing up in a family where it wasn't a big deal to have a, a gay son, um, I learned a lot and I, I learned a comfort with my brother. I, my parents sent me to live with he and his boyfriend, Peter, the year I graduated high school for the summer because I was, you know, I was getting on my mom's nerves. So I spent three months living in D.C. with them and realized that they just had this very normal relationship. In which they brought me in. My brother gave me Carolyn Pearson's book. Um, what was her first one? Circle the Wagons or No More that Goodbyes? That was the No More Goodbyes was the first one, right? And that's and I read it in his home with Ian, his partner, and um, changed me just that experience. I didn't realize what it had changed me for, but it certainly changed me. I thought it, you know, I just really understood my brother. And then flash forward uh, to a to the time when I have this son who I start suspecting might be gay. And I realized that all these things, these things that just naturally happened in our family were um, just so healthy in the way that I could, I just knew how to deal with the son. I knew how to protect him and um, raise him knowing that he was just perfectly fine the way he is. Um, Not that we had an easy time of it still, but just I had a, a different view. I had a long view and I had a, a loving view and um, I wasn't scared. I was scared for him, but I wasn't scared for us eternally. I was scared that it would be hard for him, which it is. It's hard. Um, but eternally and with God, I wasn't afraid at all. I knew God loved him and that he, um, he needed to be taken care of. Uh, so as I look at these things. And I'll, I'll tell you, um, my brother took his life five years ago this summer and Jake hadn't come out to us yet and hadn't come out to himself, but we were pretty sure. So to be, to look at this tragic ending of a brilliant person's life, um, and then to look at your son, it really, it, it made me really think like this has to be done differently. Um, So a year later, my son came out and we just um, embraced him. And when he told us, we're like, yeah, I know you're not supposed to say that, but we already knew it was like, yeah, we knew. And he's like, well, how did you know? (laughs) We just 
we knew. I mean, we had been guided and the Spirit had helped both my husband and I um, be ready for that night where he came to our bedroom and shut the door and said, Mom and Dad, I, I need to talk to you. Um, but as I looked at his friends and um, the kids at BYU with him, I realized they didn't have the same support. So I started lifting love kind of to support these kids. I just felt him like compelled to do it. But I realized it wasn't the kids that I could help. It was the moms. So that's where kind of lift and love started getting traction is talking to moms, how to support your children. Um, and you and I had a lot of early conversations and we were both kind of working different ways, trying to be helpful. And this one just sort of, I could, I just realized like their mom, they needed to know what I knew from my mom. Everything's going to be okay. That God has this child and that you can reach out to God. And ask him, how do, I, how do I raise this child? And how do I raise your child? How do we raise this child together? It's interesting as we've talked to literally hundreds of mothers, maybe thousands by now, <laughs> at least a thousand. Um, many of them struggle to pray about it, pray, pray about the child. There's a, such a disconnect, such a feeling of like, I can't ask God about this. I can't ask this, my Savior the questions that are really in my heart, the hard questions and the mad questions and the angry questions. So we work a lot on that. Being honest, being, being real with God. Let God know how you feel. Ask him the real questions. Um, so, and that's what I started with. But it's interesting about, a, so I've been doing that work for about four years. But about a year and a half, two years in, I realized there was a big shift. The moms didn't need help to love their child, they started needing help to stay active in the church. And it happened suddenly almost. Um, I know for a lot of people that has been the case, but it was kind of a tectonic shift. Like all the moms <laughs> moved into this space where um, they're like, I I'm struggling with my faith. And, and what I realized is um, it's one thing with a, my brother came out to the world probably at 22. So he's a return missionary. He's dating men. It's 1980s. He's, you know, we, we know all the things that we knew back then. He, we thought he chosen it. We, he was, looked like a sinner. He, he was like anti-family. We had all of these ideas around this. And it was really easy to put that on a, a, a gay man. And that's really all that was out. Who were, those were really who was mostly out were gay men. And living kind of life in the shadows in these crazy lives. So it was easy to say, that's wrong, that's anti-family. But about two and a half years ago, kids started coming out. Little kids, 13, you know. The same time we all fell in love with the first crush in junior high or elementary school, like our kids started coming to parents and saying, so I think I might be gay. Or I think I might be bisexual. Um, and this has created a really important shift in the world, really, but for sure in our church, because it's very different looking at a 13-year-old who is not sexual, who is not, hasn't even thought that far, can't really even figure that out, um, but knows that they're attracted to someone of the opposite sex or the, the same sex. And 
they're coming to you. So we have this difference um, that is so drastic. And um, the moms and the dads are like, oh, we've got to protect this child. Got to make sure that they're emotionally and physically and spiritually and um, socially healthy. And then we've got this message that something's wrong with them. So the moms and the dads really protect. And that's their job. That's our job with these children. So this is where this shift has come. And um, these families go to church. And the messages there are really painful. There's a lot of messages that there's something wrong with your child, that there's something wrong with your family if you would have a gay child. Um, and the kids go into their seminary classes and their classes that they're, you know, their uh, young women's or young men's classes or their youth, you know, their uh, gospel doctrine. What do we call that? Sunday school classes. And they hear the same message and they come home and they're like, mom, I can't keep going. Like the things they say are hard. I don't like, do I not fit? And so then the mom has to make a decision or the parents have to make a decision. Do I keep that child going to church when they're hurting or do they let them stay home? But then the problem comes, you have a child at home, a 13-year-old, a 14-year-old sitting at home while your family goes to church. And it's sort of unbearable. It's an unbearable choice for a family. Um, and that's, those are the families we're seeing now, mostly. We still have moms who are struggling to embrace a child who's gay or trans um, and feel like this child maybe could not choose this. We do still work a lot with those moms. But uh, I would say the majority of parents are struggling because they've taken everything else to church, to God, to the temple. And all of a sudden they can't. So that's where we are today. And um, I think it's important that leaders know that the parents are coming with these hearts. And you most likely won't know that they're coming with that. That you won't know that they have a child they're worried about until it's too late and they're gone that's a really good segment i just keep talking <laughs> i feel like if you want to say anything i don't want to keep like i want you to, i'll write down some notes and maybe i just yeah. want you to get to everything you would like to share for our listeners because they can hear me anytime but i want to make sure they hear you yeah okay <laughs> so so what is a, a leader to do We've got this, we've got these families. We don't know how many. I mean, the reports are all over, right? We've got kids at BYU at about 13.3%. Did I get the number right? 12.3, 13.3% identifying somewhere on the LGBT uh, or the LGB um, spectrum. Um, any kind of, the Pew report, I think, has it like the, the millennials. So that same year, the millennials and the Gen X or Gen Zs um, reporting that they are LGBTQ, like into the 20s percent. I don't know where the numbers will come out. We don't, we, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. Um, but what we do know is if a child identifies that way, they come with all those feelings. Whether or not that's something that they end up landing on or whether they're questioning about where they are, those feelings are with them. And, and um, anything that says that that group of people isn't okay is landing on that child and on the family because the family's there protecting and, and hearing these things. 
So what, what do we do? What do we do? What do we do as leaders? Um, what do we do as, as friends and family members? How do we take care of these children? And how do we take care of our families in, this, um, in light of this kind of shift? And I, I, I'll say with pretty good confidence that it will never go back to the way it was. Agreed. We, you can see it on a 13-year-old, how without, without any, like, anything getting in the way, how painful. I watched, I watched a 12, 13, 14, you know, maybe he was, let's see, Jake came out at 18. I knew by 13 that he was struggling, that he was struggling with something that he couldn't handle, that he didn't want to talk about. So for five years, I watched him be in pain about who he was. How do we, how do we help these kids? How we have to do better than we've done. So um, in her research, Brene Brown has done a lot of work on love and belonging. Um, and she says, in the absence of love and belonging, there is always suffering. I know that for sure. Such as 200,000 pieces of, of data about that. In the absence of love and belonging, there is always suffering. So. We, I know nobody wants their ward, no bishop, no young woman's leader, no Relief Society president or elders quorum president wants their particular space to be a place that causes suffering. Nobody sets out to do that. It's just not in us. We want to love and support. How do we do that? How do we, how do we come up? How do we change the way what we have done to, um, to incorporate these families, to bring them back, to keep them here. And that's what Lift and Love is all about, is keeping families tied to the Savior. And um, so with my brother's death, the one thing I learned, I learned a lot. I shouldn't say one thing because there were a thousand pieces of new information. But in his last letter, he mentioned how disconnected he felt from God and that he thought doors would open that didn't. And it was a pain that, that really ruined him. It, it, it ended up wrecking his life. Um, that idea, and we think it's so easy. Oh, just leave the church. It's not, it's not that easy. It doesn't, for some they can, and some do. But for so many of us, our understanding of God is bone deep. And it's impossible to shed. So just saying, we'll just leave the church. It's like ripping out part of, a, a, it's, it's almost like ripping out somebody's gender or their, you know, their um, sexuality. I mean, it's, you can't just take out huge parts of people and expect them to thrive. So we, we need to have a place where people can, can worship God in ways that are even when they're, especially when they feel like they don't fit, we should be that place of belonging and love. I mean, that's, that's where we should be. You have a way of tugging at my heartstrings <laughs> when you talk about your own son and recognizing 
um, the perspective of your brother that you love and and I sense everybody tried to do the best they could and Preston included. Yeah. But you have this perspective of now you've got Jake um, and wanting to do better and take that experience and help others do better. And I love what you're talking about, you know, the relationship with God and the Savior. And I think you're going to continue to talk about how to make our wards and homes a safe place. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we have to. These are these are our families. In fact, I went to the the ophthalmologist yesterday and he's an old friend from college and he was a bishop and he'd often call me and say, hey, can you help me with this? Or can you talk to this woman or this, you know? Um, and I would, I'd said to him, it, it's going to reach all of us. This, this will be everybody soon um, as everybody comes out, which is, as we know, I think, you know, like I said, people are coming out younger and they're comfortable coming out. Um, kids are not um, hurt on each other. They just understand. Uh, women have started coming out in amazing, beautiful, strong ways. Women that would have never come out five, ten years ago. Um, uh, there's a lot of mixed orientation marriages that are revealing themselves for who they are. And uh, they're in your wards. They're in our wards. They're in our families. And um, so my ophthalmologist said to me, you're right. <laughs> His daughter's marrying a, a fa- into a family where they have a gay brother who's in a relationship with a man. And it's, it's precluded the family, from, the parents, from being sealed in the temple because they, want it, they wanted their whole family together, including their son. So um, it's, it's coming. It's coming to your family. It's coming to all of our families. And it's for sure, already in all of our wards. You can just count on it. That there are families, they may not tell you. I think my own bishop doesn't think there's anybody in our ward who's um, LGBTQ, but it is, there are for sure people. Um, and, and you want to say, well, nobody said anything. Well, we have to create a place that they can belong so that they don't have to beg for belonging so that we don't have people groveling to be part of our communities or um, cutting off parts of themselves, like, you know, taking away parts of themselves and not being able to show up as who they are. Because that's not true belonging. Belonging is showing up as you are and being um, welcomed and loved and loving yourself and being supported by the by whoever you're around for who you are really talk about i'm gonna ask you a question so um jake is closeted you're suspecting not maybe because some people my gaydar is terrible listeners after meeting so many different people um (laughs) i think there's maybe some you know, I don't want to, I don't know what vocabulary to use, but my point is my gaydar after meeting so many people is not very good because they're, ev- mm-hmm. they're everywhere in every interest and every profession, every whatever, the stereotype of what a gay woman or man is, is not, is not correct in my mind. But you, not maybe through any of behaviors of Jake's or interests, but through the spirit just telling you, you think you've got a gay son, but more of my, and you may or confirm that or do not, you may have some more thoughts on that. But my real question is, what would you wish that ward 
and young men's and Bishop Prick and Ward have done with your closeted son? Mm. This is you kind That's of- That's a good question. This is you talking to other leaders that say, okay, I believe you, Allison. I have closeted people yeah. in my ward. They may be out to their parents, but they may not be willing to share that with me. And the kid who's out says, don't tell anybody. And the parents are honoring that. So yeah. what do I Would, do? Good question. You know, um, I know of a bishop or a stake. Oh, actually, he was a bishop at the time who was actually a new bishop and stood up in his ward when he was being introduced to the ward. I mean, of course, he was already in the ward, but when he was new and said to any of you out there who are, are gay, lesbian, transgender, come talk to me. I love you. I'm here for you. Come talk to me. He had five kids come to him over the next week. Five. And one of them was a woman's daughter who works, uh, off, uh, who I work often with. And, and um, she had no idea. This, this child told the bishop before she told her mom. And knowing that her mom was affirming. Um, I will tell bishops. So that's cool. Isn't it cool? All he um, had to say, and, and then and I he loved them when he met that with them. He loved them. I don't think that's going to confuse a straight kid hearing that over the pulpit to think I'm gay. I'm going to go talk to the bishop. I mm. think there may be this fear-based, if we talk about it, we're going to confuse the youth into being trans or gay. But I think they don't <laughs> want to be trans or gay. No, no. So I think a bishop, I love that. And I love the spiritual impression that bishop probably got to do that. Right. Well, and just the open door. And if I'm a straight kid working through, this is the thing that was fascinating to me as a YSA bishop. I started to say kind things about gay people on social media. Right. And had this flock of straight kids that said, okay, I can talk to this guy. Exactly. I am well, not that, gay, but he, but if he, he can, can if handle he can embrace that, right? Me. Isn't that so the truth? That I was, mean, that's the vulnerability there. Like he's, he's looking past what we're all looking at. Yeah. He's looking at the person, not the circumstance, not the identity, not what I've done or what I might do or what I wish I wouldn't have done. You know, he's looking at me. That's what that says is I love you. And and if I'm a parent in that word, I'm glad because sometimes in raising our own kids, the kids talk to the bishop or they talk to us. About right. It. And so we we were glad that there were safe places for our kids to go to because Sometimes, even though I think we both consider ourselves good parents, we recognize our kids are not going to open up to er us about everything in their life. Well, apparently, my, my kids don't always. <laughs> Still. Same. Yeah, which is probably good. Other I'm not things, sure I want to know everything always, but. Other, that's a great, that's just a great story. Other stories or things that come to your mind? Yeah, I mean, I think I, I want to address the, um. Where are we on time? I actually forgot to look at the time. Oh, we're at 27 minutes. Oh, good. We're doing good. Um, I want to address the idea that people are going to be made gay. So if, you're, if you can't choose it and you can't change it, then you can't be made it, right? Like we have to stop. We have to stop doing that. We just have to. People have battered themselves bloody trying to change their orientation. And if your child comes to you and says, oh, I think I might be gay, then you 
I mean, the answer isn't, well, your friends made you do that. It's because you hang out with gay people. Think about why they're hanging out with gay people. Because they're comfortable there. Their friends understand them. Think about, like, if they say, well, I think I might be a boy, mom. And you're looking at this little girl who's been dancing her whole life with this long hair. And you're thinking, no way. Talk to this child. What, what about that? Tell me about that. How are you feeling? What's making you feel like that? How long have you felt this way? You know, ask questions. Don't shut them down because if you shut them down, it might be the last conversation you have for a long time. And you can ask questions. Oftentimes, I say, like, you and I are from sort of the same generation, right? Well, you're much younger. Uh, Yeah, not so much, not so much, but we have a box of crayons. It has eight crayons in it. It has red, yellow, blue, purple, green, orange, brown, black, maybe white. Anyway, that meant that's what our crayon box is. So our kids don't have that same box. And so when they come to us and say, I'm cerulean blue, and you're looking at your box and you're like, you mean blue? And they said, no, I'm cerulean. We don't understand because we don't have the 32 count box in front of us. We have eight counts. That's what we did. That's how we grew up. And there weren't 32 count boxes back then um, or in our understanding. But our kids have a different box of crayons with which to identify themselves. And oftentimes it's just a difference. Now, it's not always just a small difference. I'm not really blue. I'm blue with the little green, mom. Okay, I can see that. And sometimes it's even bigger than that. But we need to be able to realize they don't have eight crayons. And they will never identify themselves with eight crayons because that's not what they were handed. They were handed 32 crayons. And someone said to them, you know, then they're, they're 13 and 14 and trying to figure out who they are. They have a lot more choices than we did. So. As parents, relax and ask questions and then let them guide you and and have good, healthy conversations around it. Not ones that shut down the conversation like, well, you have to be blue because blue is the only color. You can be blue or green. You choose. Like that's just not the world anymore and it never will be again. I've never, no one's ever used the crayon analogy. That's terrific. (laughs) Well, I love color. So. I mean, some would say, because we are in the last days or tumultuous times, we're one day closer to the return of the Savior, that all of this, Allison, um, we're not meant to be at 32 crens. That's a sign of the last day and Satan confusing his children. And this is yeah, my kids being exposed to this on TV and school. And, and so this is just, you know, a sign of the last days and Satan confusing his children. And I know you you can handle that question. So what would you say? <laughs> no, I, I, I think I've thought about it a lot. And I think as parents, when your child comes out, you, you might think that. Um, and that's why back to the same question, like problem, how do we keep people connected to Jesus Christ? How do we let them know they are, of course, children of God so that they can go to God for these questions? Now, you and I know, because we've talked to so many people, you probably more than I, don't you wish would keep a tally of how many people said to you that the Lord told them that they were okay, who they were. And not only that, 
but they were who they were supposed to be. Yep. So if we disconnect them from that source, how will they really know who they are? If they can't go to the Lord and say, what's the deal? I'm Cerulean. And he can say, yes, that is who I made you. Or, you know, like, how about you keep thinking? Or how about you keep, you know, that is the source we want our kids to listen to, not the world. But if we make it so hard for them to see themselves as children of God, they won't be able to turn to the Savior or to their heavenly parents and ask questions and find out who they are and what their purpose in, in life is. Talk about why no, um, it might be harder for an LGBTQ kid to turn to God and talk to God about why they're this way and how to keep God in their life. Any thoughts on why it might oh, be hard? Yeah. We, we have phrases that we use, and I don't, I don't want to go into too many of them, but we have phrases that, um, that we, when we say like, love the sinner, love the sin, but not the, love the sinner, but not the sin. I mean, we're automatically making a, an individual sinner in that situation. Um, if we sort of relegate our LGBTQ people to a different kingdom, what we're saying is you're, you're not worthy of all that God has for you. And, and again, we're saying to their parents, you won't be together. It's interesting. In fact, I've heard this repeated a lot lately where people say, I'm fine in the lower kingdom. Like people, they want to be with their family. And if their child can't be in a celestial kingdom, then how, you know, I always tell people, if, if I can't be with my brother, who I have a lot to say to still, there's a lot of things unsaid between the two of us. If I can't be with him and my son, what sort of celestial glory is that for me? It's almost like unthinkable. And I'm so grateful that I don't believe that, that I have a Savior who has taught me that my child is amazing and he's here to teach others about a, a more expansive idea of who he is and how he is amazing. I think, I think we look at it, and I, I don't want to say what Satan's doing. I don't know. But I do know that when we get to know LGBTQ people, really get to know them, we, we see a different and more expansive, more loving God. And as we as parents and those of us who have struggled in this space to keep our faith, we have had the opportunity to walk with God in ways that we could have never imagined before. Never. It's a great segment. Talk about, you used this phrase earlier, and I want, you've kind of hit it again about saying it. You're not scared about not being an eternal family. So if Jake marries a man, you've got a brother, Preston, who you love, who served a mission but didn't stay in the church. So you've got people you really care about that may not be um, sort of following church teachings, Preston in his past and Jake going forward. I don't want to be prescriptive of where Jake is going. No, because who knows where. 
but how, because that's a fear a lot of parents have. Yeah. I've got a gay kid, that gay kid. I'm seeing a lot of gay people that end up marrying gay people and are mm-hmm. in same-sex marriages. How do you not feel like your eternal family is not shattered? <laughs> because I, I just have this, first of all, I, I think, in fact, I asked my mom once, I was researching for something I was writing, and I asked my mom, why did you guys never talk about empty tables and and Preston, you know, not being in the celestial glory. And my mom said to me, I never even thought about it. It never even crossed her mind. She knew that this was her family and that this child was just like the rest of her children and that we were meant to be together and we were meant to learn. I mean, clearly I was meant to learn by an older brother from an older brother who was gay. That was just my path, right? Um, I think as parents, this is where we go to the Savior. And we cannot, we cannot, there's too much mis, there's too much confusion in the world. Only the Savior can teach us what we need to know. And it's really hard for most people to stay connected. It's very, very hard for LGBTQ people to stay connected to God. Definitely in the church. Um, and that's one of the things we do at Lift and love. We aren't prescriptive about how you live your life. If you want to stay connected to the church in any way, but mostly if you want to stay connected to God, that's we're we're there. And that can look like a million different varieties and variations. And um we have I I, I would I will assume and hope that my son marries someone wonderful. I think that um, some of the best progression we do in our lives is through the sacrifice and love of another person. That's what makes life hard and amazing is giving to another person. And I hope he finds someone that makes him a better man. I don't suggest that to anybody. That's just my feeling about my son. I wish my brother would have had someone throughout his life to love him and help him. Somebody for Jake, is that any is that a man or a woman, or are you letting Jake make that decision? Well, I'll let him make that decision. He's not at all attracted to women, so it it will be a man. Um and and we've left that open, but we've given him like the same rules apply to you. You know, not that we can tell our 22-year-olds or 23-year-olds or 30-year-olds what to do, but we expect him to find somebody and date chastely and um and marry with those goals in mind and someone that will make him better and someone that will want to be involved with God in the same way that Jake will be, whether that's in the church, out of the church, sort of in or out, you know, whatever it is for him, I want that for him. And so those, it's the same. We, we, uh, we say to him, it's the same thing. We expect the same thing out of you as the rest of the kids. Um, and, and I, I hope, I hope that he will be able to stay connected to God in, 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 this, in the ways that he will know his love. I love that. And I, I just think that's um, a principle of agency. Right. I think you're honoring the doctrine of our church's agency for Jake. Yeah. And our job is to support love and um, to hopefully teach principles that help people make good decisions. I've, I want to just come back to this question a little bit and just share some ideas that might be helpful. Just, I agree with you. It's hard sometimes for LGBTQ to have a good relationship with God. 
my hypothesis is that that is something that's learned because of the 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 shame that's created in our church culture and in society about LGBTQ people. Sure, absolutely. And people in authority like parents or local leaders or whatever um, say unkind things about people like them. So their other authority figure in their life is God. And God, yeah. they may self-conclude that God hates this part about me because key voices in their life have sort of said that. I don't want to say that's a story for everybody, but a lot of them end up doing what you've invited people to do is, and parents is to pray to God yeah. and ask how God feels about you being gay. And the stories I've heard is that, just like you said at the beginning of the podcast, gives um, LGBTQ Latter-day Saints great peace that this is who they are. Yeah. And this is who they're meant to be. And it puts them on the same moral footing as straight Latter-day Saints. And right. it takes the shame away. Shame, I think, is one of Satan's greatest tools and fear to separate us from the love of God. And if you feel this part of you is this displeasing to God, and you take that as your premise, it's hard then to have a great relationship with God. Exactly. Because you would naturally pull away. So I think that's one of the gifts you're giving and and that some of the people I've seen in this space, like Ben Shalati and Charlie Bird and others, have helped to take away the shame. Absolutely. Of not being There's, straight. I mean, they're just... Such amazing and Megan people. Decker, you're probably going to talk about some yeah, of the great ones. And yeah, for sure. Well, and uh, Sherry Dew has a great line. She says, none of us come to this earth to gain our worth. Ooh, we brought it with us. That's a great one. And that is everybody. We don't, nobody has to, nobody should have to fight to maintain the feeling of their worth. Nobody should have to negotiate that idea to come to church, to come to God. To, to be in a family of their, you know, to, 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 they should, everyone should have the absolute understanding that they are of great worth to God. Um, I think you're so right. We, we have, like I said, we have these phrases that, you know, nothing will ever change. Like that just drains hope out of people's lives. Like, of course I hope for further light and knowledge. I pray for it daily. I, I want it desperately. Um, and I need it because I don't have all the information I need for my family. There's, there, there's a hole in the information still. And I, I know that, um, that as I study and, and work and, and go through all of this, that I've done all this work, I, I hear this in my head all the time that the Lord is, loves these children and that he has a plan for them. And that we'll know someday. I I know this that the and I and I actually I have a hundred percent faith that he will reveal it through prophets as he reveals all important change in this gospel. Um but that we in the church need to be ready to understand what the Lord has in mind, because it's my opinion that he's sent so many kids to the earth at this time to teach us something expansive something that we didn't understand before. I don't know what it is. I can't, I wish I did, but it's not for me to understand. It's not for me to reveal, right? But it is, I definitely feel like my child is part of that kind of, um, of whatever is happening, he's part of it. And I, and I, I know it in my bones. And, and we want, we want everybody to feel that because if we can say, Hey, 
these LGBTQ people, they're not anything different than we are. They, they aren't, they don't, they aren't different at all. They are part of our group. In fact, they add dimension and beauty that we're missing without them. We are missing these people who leave our, our midst. The, I mean, you could name how, how many remarkable people have you met over these last, how, how long have you been doing it? Five years, six years? Yeah, I mean, I think of Zion and I think of the body of Christ and we need, I used to think my job was to sort of be the good Samaritan and create more space and save. And But it's what you're describing, Allison, they have saved me. Oh, yeah. They have taught me things about the gospel of Jesus Christ and no straight person's taught me. I don't want to be that binary, but they know about empathy, compassion, inclusion. They understand how Christ treated people. They role model that generally. So I look at the needs of our congregations to become the body of Christ in Zion. And we need LGBTQ Latter-day Saints. And we just have work to do to create a feeling of belonging. Yeah. And I too am open to further light and understanding. Yeah. However that comes or whenever it comes, but I know it, I know it will come because we have unanswered questions for our families. And like I said, it's coming to everyone's family. It will, it will it will impact all of us. And, and I think it's important that it does. I think that's an important part of this education that we're all getting. And I think families that have been on this road for a while may, when you say it's coming, it's, some would say, well, that's really scary and negative and I don't want this. But the families like yours and others that have been on this road for a while might say this is the best thing that happened to our family. Mm, absolutely. And I have to say, what, what change has the Lord um, enacted that has been horrible? There's no change. They've all been amazing changes that have been, that just enrich us. And they help us understand our eternal um, destination better. They understand each other better. Like, he doesn't have something scary and plan, planned for us. He has further light and knowledge. And those are important things. Those are the tenets of our religion. That there is more out there that we don't understand, possibly about what eternities look like. And we might have sort of a limited idea and we need to expand our view. I don't know. I don't know. But I do know that um, as we open up our wards, our homes, our, um, our young women's classes, to expand, to um, support these families these kids, we will learn more than we could have ever learned. So we, we just, I, I just hope that those of you who are listening, who are leaders will embrace this. Um, and those of you who are LGBTQ, you know, I wanted to go into some of our support group Good. information. Like we're, we're doing some changing too. Um, again, like this, this, this landscape changes all the time. Um, we started with moms. We have great support groups with moms. We've had an event. We've had, we have these moms who are amazing and have done amazing things with their family, hundreds and hundreds of moms. Um, and people say, well, are you going to do dads too? Um, we probably won't do work with dads yet. And we found that when we bring dads in with moms, the dynamics of the meeting change. So um, we are going to start a parent's Facebook group that will be closed um, so they can have real conversations. 
We only have two real rules at Lift and Love. We're identity supportive and we're church supportive. Um, we talk about hard things, but we do it in a productive way and not um, a battering, abusive way. Because we have to start with the idea that everybody is trying to figure this out the best way they can. So we, we talk about things that are hard at church. And we, I have this, this saying that my brother, who was, uh, he worked with the military. He was a civilian working with the, material, the military, but he said they have a, a, a saying. Quit admiring the problem and start solving the problem. So that's one of our, our things with Lift and Love. We don't, we don't just admire the problem over and over and over again. We are trying to solve problems for families and for individuals. Um, so we have a mom's group. We, have, we started uh, an adult LGBTQ uh, support group once a month. We have a YSA group, which is 18 years to 30. It's overseen by um, a, a guy named TJ Thomas. He goes by the handle at TJ Counseling. TJ is terrific. He's fantastic. Um, and we also have a YSA, I mean, a, a youth uh, that's 12 to 17. And TJ, for obvious reasons, is there as well. Because these are vulnerable kids. Oftentimes their parents don't know. Um, and if they do know, you know, they, these kids need to be protected and our YSA groups, because there's a lot of questioning still going on, even at 18, 20, 23, 24. And a lot of these people are, are coming out. So TJ is just great with, with those. Um, so we've got those support groups. We're bringing on an all women's group. Um, we have been super lucky to get Liv Mendoza Haynes. And if you know, speaking of love and belonging. When the Relief Society spoke at BYU Women's Conference in 2021, there wasn't one this year, which was interesting. They introduced Liv and she introduced herself as queer, which was pretty remarkable in the church. It was the first time, as far as I know, and I'm, I'm pretty sure. I think so. Uh, Sister Eubanks, who we all love, uh, introduced her and Liv introduced herself as queer. Liv has come on to Lift and Love. That's as great. a contributor, fantastic. And I hope this isn't too early, but I think we're going to try and branch out in Spanish in some slow ways until we can get more support there. Um, you and I both know Megan Decker, who wrote the book Tender Leaves of Hope. And she interviewed 40 women, um, all LGBTQ, somewhere in that spectrum, in that, somewhere in that crayon box, um, and tells beautiful stories. It's such a, a beautiful book. Um, another woman, Laurie Campbell, was one of the first women on um, Mormon and Gays. Um, lot, people that you've done a lot of interviewing with, Sadie Rogers, who's married to a woman. Um, we're bringing on a variety of people to help women, a, a variety of women to help women um, and a close support. Facebook for them as well. So they'll have a once a month support group and a place closed. There is currently a uh, closed Facebook post. Those are going. Um, we also have a trans group coming on and I'm going to wait to introduce that, introduce that in a couple of weeks. Um, we have one member who is traveling in Europe right now with their family. So we're waiting for them to come back. Um, we are, and we'll be starting a parent's support uh facebook po uh, page but 
and maybe support group. The trans will be both support and hopefully Facebook. So um, there is no requirement other than we love each other and we love the Lord. And we just are here to support each other and bring each other closer to the Savior. So that's what we've got coming up. It's super exciting. I'm, I've just been so excited. I just 100% endorse what Allison and everybody involved with Lift and Love is doing. Um, the support groups, the Instagram posts, but the support groups are so needed. It's just an area in the church where there is no church support groups. You can't no. be a parent with a gay kid and go to a stake support group or a region support group. You can't be LGBTQ. And so I think at some time in the church, there will be this kind of support, but it takes people like Allison and people involved with her to step forward. And I hope you heard what she said. We're identity supportive, meaning we'll support you how you identify and we're church supportive and you mm-hmm. can do both. And that space is so needed. Um, we're not prescriptive in the sense we're just going to let you self-determine your best way forward. We're going to support you. But I love that. I think it's one of your gifts is to do support groups. And Liv, is, Liv was on four, episode 450 listeners. If you want to hear more about Liv's story, I think you're right. She's the first time someone was introduced in sort of a church setting as a queer Latter-day Saint. Uh, maybe that will be pretty normal someday in our church. Maybe. And Megan Decker who was somebody from high school that I knew, still know. She's been on episode 473 and 512. And um, terrific book that you just referenced. So Megan's just awesome. I'm glad she's um, joining forces. And I love that you've got trans because I I get a lot of messages. We don't do any support groups. Um, I do a podcast. (laughs) So I'm a clearinghouse and kind of (laughs) directing people to stuff like you do. So it's so needed what you do. Oh. And our trans, our trans family members, they need love and support. They need, a, you know, again, they just need to know they belong in our community. And we don't have to figure everything out. We don't have to, we don't have to understand non-binary and trans. We, we don't have to understand them. But as we have these members comfortable and in our wards, we'll be able to talk to them and we'll learn a lot. We will learn so much about them and uh, their faith to show up when a a lot of these members aren't allowed to um, participate in some of the the priesthood ordinances, uh, the temple. Sometimes in some wards, they're not even allowed to say anything or, you know, there's a lot of different ways that our trans friends are being sort of managed in their wards rather than loved. I love that you're doing youth support groups. Um, you know, I think about that group a lot, um, you know, 12 to 17 and then the YSAs. And, and I, you know, I don't want to get too much into me being on the podcast, but that group, if you're in that group or a parent of that group, they're trying to figure out how they're going to navigate the forks in the road. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be in a mixed orientation marriage? Are they going to be celibate? Are they going to be in a same-sex marriage? It, now, the trans group is on a different road. But my general advice to that group is that may cause a lot of anxiety for you in your teens, but try to push that decision into your twenties or thirties. Feels like David Archuleta is kind of at the fork of the road. Mm -hmm. And in that time between you now and when you get to the fork of the road, be your very best personal self. 
No. Just the things Allison's inviting you to do. Have an incredibly strong um, relationship with your Heavenly Father, with the Savior. Know who you are. Hear Him. Yeah. <laughs> to use pre- oh. and, have, and then do go to therapy. I like that TJ Thomas is leading that group. There's wonderful therapists in this space. We could go through the list, but go to therapy if you feel that's helpful. But just become your very best personal best and then make decisions based on faith and on fear. Because um, fear may get you at a fork in the road earlier than you really is the best time to make that. Right. And as a youth, even if you don't know where you're going to be in your 20s or 30s and you may feel good about serving a mission, you might be able to serve a mission. Even if you don't know exactly your future. Now, maybe not. And I don't want to say um, every story is going to be a little different. Don't oh, hear definitely. somebody else's story and say it's your story, but, you know, become the very best personal self you can be. And then at some point, you're probably going to hit that fork in the road. And even the celibate fork in the road, I think you sort of need to be called. I, I think it's different than just by default, you stay celibate. Mm. I feel like Ben Shalati has sort of been called to be celibate, yeah. to use an example. I and, think he uses, he says that a lot. He and there's states purpose, that. There's purpose in him being celibate. Agreed. And so I think you do better if you feel that it's not this forced celibacy, but you're actually called. Yeah. So those and, are some of the things that if you're a youth or a parent of a youth or a local leader that I generally share. Um, but it comes back to the things you're sharing with us too, Allison. I love that. And I'll tell you, um, if you're not, if you're not able to show up at church, that does not mean that you are not able to show up for God and that he's not showing up for you. Um, as a Relief Society president, I learned the stories over and over again and in my life that sometimes when I was doing the dumbest things and, and people would tell me these stories all the time, that's when the spirit would say to them, hey, knock it off or I need you back. I have some remarkable stories of women's lives that were just so far from the, what we would call the covenant path, so far. Um, when the spirit just reached out and was like, I need you to come back. And they did. And so we, we, we don't, we, as long as our kids know that God loves them and that when they reach out to him, to our heavenly parents, that he will be there for them. Doesn't it doesn't matter if they're in the church, out of the church. They say they believe in God or don't. If they know in their hearts, in their deepest hearts, and if they remember in their deepest pain that the Lord loves them. And that's then the Lord will take care of them and the Spirit will get them where they need to be. And we don't even have to worry as parents. Isn't that great? <laughs> Easier said than done, but Oftentimes I say to myself, you've got this, right, Lord? Because I don't know how this is going to look as it goes forward, but you've got it, right? Because I know he does, and I have to remind myself. Yeah, I, I think if we really own our doctrine, the plan of salvation, we're children of heavenly parents, and if we have loved ones in our life, I don't think Allison or I are inviting people to leave the church, but if no. people do self-determine, is the language I use, that this is their best path forward. We may, as parents, grieve and wonder, but I think at a period of time, we can get peace from our Heavenly Father and the Savior and understanding the plan of salvation. Just leave all those fears at the Savior's feet. Mm-hmm. Let your heart heal and just say, I can, can preserve the family relationship. Usually, if 
if you've got yeah. a kid that's willing to do that. There may be some exceptions and I can just leave um, where we're all going to be in the next life and empty tears at the table. And just like your mom did, didn't go down that road. And, and that brings peace. And so you can be in the church and support people on their individual paths. Yeah. I love that. I love that. I just. To keep talking. No, well, I, you know, I, I wanted to, to end. I think, I think we've hit everything. Let's see. What, how much time are we done? Oh, we're at about an hour. I can wrap up. Let's wrap. Um, I can keep just talking. Leave. Yeah. Okay. More thoughts on your well, mind. It's interesting. So I, we just buried my mom and, um, all the thoughts. Yeah. My, my mom who, who really taught me. And I, I said at her funeral, like without even knowing it, she taught me how to love a child who was gay. And because of her just simple way, she loved her son, even though she didn't understand what was going on or had conflict in her heart with the church and this child. Um, she taught me what I learned and really it's to her. It's a tribute to her that so many women are learning to kind of navigate this space. And I, I mean, and to my brother, um, and I'm, I know my dad had a part of it, but for some reason, I'm just so connected to my mom and the way she handled it. I know my dad went to bat for my brother all the time. Uh, but there's something about a mom and the way they protect the children are, and our hearts are tied. Our heartstrings are, they're real heartstrings and they hurt when your kids hurt. Um, and to all these moms who are finding out that their children are gay or trans or non-binary or bisexual or intersex or um, you name it. Like these moms are becoming amazing protectors and um, of their children in ways that we need to honor and not say, oh, well, they've just lost their faith because they didn't. They did not lose their faith. They held on to it with every, I've watched moms hold on with the last ounce of strength they have. And even if they have to leave the church to save the family, they, they take what they can with them. Um, so I just want to wrap up with a thought. So maybe if you're a leader out there, think about this. Think while I tell you this scripture, it's from DNC. 50, it's DNC 50, 41 through 42. And think about it as you're a Relief Society president or a bishop or a young men's president or a mom or a dad or an aunt or a neighbor. Fear not little children, for you are mine. And I have overcome the world and you are of them that my father hath given me and none of them that my father hath given me shall be lost. Can you feel that responsibility he has for each one of us? And if every bishop, every Relief Society president, every seminary teacher took that to heart, fear not little child, little children, the Lord, you know, Heavenly Father gave you to me and I'm going to take care of you and none of you are lost. What a different 
what a different church we would be, what a different family we could be, what a different neighborhood world we would be if we had that in our minds as we um, navigate these and wait for the Lord to give us further light and knowledge that we just say to him, we've got, we know that you gave us these children and they won't be lost with us. It's a beautiful segment. I'm, of course, thinking about your mom, Sally, and Preston. And I think they're buried together. They are. And um, I have to, as I'm sure you have many times wondered about the conversations they're having oh. on the other side. And I bet there's so much healing. Um, I think your mom obviously did a great job. But there's pain there that, and there's great healing occurring. Totally. And I think there's grace great grace occurring um to both of them i don't know but you know your mom oh yeah but i do think of that and um what a beautiful reunion that is and continues to be and was as they were together in the pre-earth life i'm also remembering our wedding of our two (laughs) kids um dev and jake and at some point in that wedding my son's name is jake who married dev and your gay son is jake Mm -hmm. You turn to your gay son, Jake, and says, if you marry a man, you will have, we will throw you this kind of wedding. Yeah. And some would say, well, you're selling out our doctrine to do that. I would say you're just telling your kid you love him. Yeah. And you're creating a safe place in your home for that kid to know that he's loved and whatever choices he makes, it won't change anything. And I don't think it's more likely it'll be in a same-sex wedding because you did that. I don't think you sold out our doctrine or sort of said, this is what you're going to do or need to do. I think you just created a safe place for him so that he knows how you respond if indeed that's the path he takes. I thought it was, it wasn't a moment you shared broadly. I just happened right. to be there as you told him that. Yeah. And I've thought about that a lot since that. It's one of the, I just thought it was a great parenting moment, to be honest. Well, I mean, we learned in the garden and it was of Eden, a big right? wedding you threw. It was a big wedding. So it was Gosh, not those this kids little, know a lot of people. It was pre-COVID. <laughs> yeah, and, it um, was. But I, I, I think, um, I think as a mom, I'm faced with the choices Eve made, and I have a son who may have to transgress a law to be able to fulfill to fulfill the other laws, um, and. I'm going to let he and the Lord work that out. I can't, first of all, my kids don't do anything I say anyway. So that's all lost. They're, they're big kids and they make good decisions. And I, I know that the Lord guides them. And I certainly know that the Lord's guided me through, through life. I just have no doubt that the Lord is guiding all of us. And if I can keep Jake or any child connected to God, I have no fear because he knows that the father gave him this responsibility and he will guide them. He will guide them home. It's promised. It's promised. I love that. And I think if you can give that gift to your kid, even if your kid doesn't stay in the church there, I don't know who put this in my mind, but there's lots of ways to live life out of the church. Um, But if they're close to God, they're less likely to turn to some of the numbing things that may numb the pain that leads to other problems that Absolutely. come into their life that you may have saw. Yeah, with, with my brother's with, life, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. for sure. And so if you if you can keep that connection with God and 
you know, and sort of live a very responsible life, you know, on this road to a monogamous same-sex marriage. If you feel that's your path, that's a different path than some of the other paths that aren't on, quote, the covenant path. So that's the pragmatic reality of this. If you're a parent with a kid in the space is you want them to do the things you're inviting parents to teach. And I think we can do that as local leaders, as parents, um, and just let our kids self-determine. But hopefully with that set of so I think in back to that conversation you had with Jake at your daughter's wedding, I think it's more likely that he's not going to um, turn to some of the numbing pain, some of the things, because he knows you love him. Yeah. And, I, well, and he knows that he's worth, he's, he's worthy. He's worth so much. Yeah. He's worth that big wedding. He's worth, he's worth everything. He's worth reaching out to God. Like God knows his worth. Even if the the world doesn't, even if the the news um, and legislation doesn't understand my son's worth, God does, and I that is all that matters to me. That is that is the only thing that matters to me, and I have full confidence that He's guiding our these wonderful children and the ones that are we know about David Archuleta, Charlie Bird, the ones that are they 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 have stories to tell, but there are thousands if not hundreds of thousands of other stories that if you get to know people you'll hear them and we've been blessed enough to do that you and i (laughs) well thank you for the work you're doing um, allison and listeners hopefully this is helpful to you as i often say in my when i speak or when a podcast you know you may not agree with everything this isn't a space where i think allison and i are saying you have to agree with no. Or some serious background music. Must be a train coming through our neighborhood. <laughs> no, getting... It's probably the street sweeper. The street sweeper. Is here. But this is a space where I don't think either of us are asking you to agree with everything we said. We're just doing our best as committed Latter-day Saints to have a conversation about this mm. and share principles that are hopefully helpful to you. But you've got to kind of do this the way you feel best as a parent, as a local leader, as an LGBTQ person and the principles that Allison shared, I think we would hope would be helpful to you as you manage that in your circle. So anyway, Richard Osler, Allison Dayton and our street sweeper <laughs> who's come through our cul-de-sac here in Murray, Utah, signing off for another episode of Listen, Learn and Love. And I will say we'll link to in the show notes to Allison's website. Um, it's simple. It's liftandlove.org. I'll link to her Instagram account. It's a terrific Instagram account. Please follow that account. Um, it um, will help you, as, especially as these new support groups are coming on board. <laughs>